Spring is in full swing and summer is just around the corner. A great time for a beach getaway at the Oceanfront Boardwalk Plaza Hotel in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Enjoy the best of oceanfront accommodations and amazing dining right on the beach, both with great views of the ocean and boardwalk. Enjoy a soak in the heated indoor spa pool or book the adults-only concierge level and relax in the rooftop hot tubs. Book online at boardwalkplaza.com or call 800-33 beach thanks to the boardwalk plaza for being the bridge podcast network sponsor story jumpers welcome to another episode of your favorite storytelling podcast are you ready to hear a great story of course that's why you're a story jumper a spy in the sons of liberty threatens to crush the patriot cause on the eve of war But who will fire the first shot at Lexington and launch the American Revolution? The Marquis de Lafayette commits his sword to fight as France seeks to secretly support the American cause with spies on both sides of the Atlantic. Following Bunker Hill, George Washington faces the impossible task of driving the British from Boston with an undisciplined army and no gunpowder or cannons. As Congress debates independence, Thomas Jefferson pens a declaration. But it will never see the light of day if the vote is not unanimous. The epic Order of the Seven animal team must assist the Founding Fathers with espionage and numerous miracles to win this war for American independence while a new evil enemy seeks to slaughter the Patriots and their commander in the field. But which will be the more dangerous? The enemy without or the enemy within. This second book in Jenny Cote's epic revolutionary saga tells of the incredible yet lesser known struggles of the war before independence. Enjoy this reading of The Declaration, The Sword, and The Spy by Jenny Cote. Chapter 11 The Midnight Ride. Outside Cambridge, Massachusetts, April 18, 1775, 11.30 p.m. The cool night air whooshed across Paul Revere's face, making his eyes water from the speed of this magnificent horse. The bright moon above illuminated the road ahead as the Patriot's cloak furiously flapped in the wind behind him. He gripped the reins, leaned over the saddle, and pressed his spurs into the horse's side. The thundering sound of the horse's hooves was matched only by the rush of adrenaline coursing through his veins. As Revere passed Charlestown Neck, he saw up ahead two mounted British officers on patrol. They spotted him immediately. Halt! they shouted and started to give chase. I'd rather not, boys, Revere muttered to himself. Thinking quickly, he changed course, forcing the British officers to follow him off the main route. He leaned into the horse and shouted, Yeah! Let's lose those lobster backs! As he came to a dark area off the grassy path, Revere rode his horse up a slight embankment and glanced back at the horsemen closing in on him. The British patrol galloped into the dark area only to find it was a thick clay pit of muck. Their horses quickly got stuck and halted in their tracks, neighing wildly and bucking against their riders, Revere grinned as he heard the officers shouting and cursing behind him while he left them in the muck and continued on into the moonlit countryside. Revere soon entered Medford and stopped to warn a Minuteman officer. The regulars are out, he urgently told him. 
He then rode on to Menatomy, pausing at every house and shouting the same warning to the people inside that the regulars would soon be marching this way. Immediately people began to sound the alarm and muster the militia. Other riders quickly dispersed to start spreading the word north. After midnight, around 12.30 a.m., Paul Revere entered the town of Lexington and rode straight to the Clark House. As he dismounted his horse and headed to the front door, he saw eight militia guards outside, relieved to see protectors stationed there. Sergeant Monroe rushed to meet Revere on the walkway to the house, holding out his hand to bar him entry. I'm sorry, sir, but I can't let you inside. Your arrival will create too much noise. Paul Revere's eyes widened in disbelief at such an absurd statement. Noise? You'll have noise enough before long. The regulars are coming out. Inside the house, John Hancock heard Revere shouting, Come in, Revere. We're not afraid of you. Revere grumbled at Monroe and pushed his way past the protective sergeant. He opened the door and took off his hat, wiping his sweaty face with his sleeve after his rigorous ride. The regulars are loading into boats and crossing to Charlestown. Looks to be 700 to 800 men plus small artillery. Warren sends word for you men to leave Lexington immediately. Hancock and Adams shot glances at one another. Behind them, the household was buzzing with activity. Reverend Clark was busy hiding money and other objects of value, stuffing them in the potatoes or wherever he could. Aunt Lydia was wringing her hands and crying as she helped Mrs. Clark to dress the children in case they had to flee. Dorothy placed her hands on little Elizabeth Clark's shoulders as they peeked around the corner to watch John Hancock inspecting his sword. His polished gun sat next to him. I'm not going to leave those brave men protecting us outside while I run away to safety, Hancock protested, vigorously polishing his sword. He was ready for a fight. Samuel Adams looked up at Revere, who put a hand on his hip and slapped his hat on the table. There's a reason they're protecting you, John. You are the president of the Massachusetts Provincial Congress. Listen to reason. I think he's right, John. Samuel echoed, much to Hancock's surprise. Think about it. If the regulars arrest us, the people will lose you as the leader of their collective voice, and I will no longer be able to help keep up the resistance with the Sons of Liberty. Not to mention the fact that you two are supposed to be on your way to Philadelphia to represent Massachusetts at the Continental Congress, Dawes added, having arrived and alerted houses around Lexington. It was now 12.30 a.m. Revere turned and happily gripped Dawes by the arm. Thank God you made it. How did you get past the sentry at Boston Neck? It just so happens that a friend of mine was on duty and he let me through, Dawes replied with a broad grin. I was shaking in my boots until I saw who it was holding out his hand to stop me. If my friend hadn't been there, I doubt I could have made it out at Boston. Liz and Nigel shared a grin. I wonder who could have arranged that, Nigel whispered. Revere looked back to the stubborn Hancock. Warren sent both of us here from Boston to warn you at great risk to ourselves and to those who helped us escape Boston. I myself almost got caught by the British patrol outside of Cambridge. Thankfully, Larkin let me borrow his new horse. She's the fastest beast I've ever ridden. And I wonder just who this new horse is, Liz whispered, slipping out the front door. Nigel trailed along behind. I'm forever in your debt, gentlemen. Thank you, Hancock frowned, realizing the gravity of what these men had done. 
but you've also sounded the alarm across the countryside along the way, correct? Of course, and we need to ride on to Concord to sound the alarm there, as that's where the regulars ultimately are bound, Dawes answered quickly. And we should send out as many riders as we can to alert the countryside, Revere added. We'll see to that immediately, Samuel Adams responded, getting to his feet to shake hands with Revere and Dawes. Thank you both, and Godspeed. I'll keep working on Hancock to get us on the road as well. Outside, Liz and Nigel ran over to the magnificent brown horse that had carried Revere to Lexington. Well done in delivering Revere past the dreaded foe, and here to warn the Patriot leaders, Nigel cheered. Uh, might I inquire as to your name? Good evening, Nigel and Liz, answered the horse with a wink, lowering its head to get eye to eye with them. Uh, how goes the deciphering? We had a feeling, bonsoir, Gilliman. We are making progress, Liz answered. But for the urgent matter at hand, what should we do tonight? Get to the belfry at Lexington Green and observe everything that happens when the regulars arrive, Gilliman answered quickly as Revere and Dawes hurriedly came back outside to mount the horses. If the enemy is going to make a move, it likely will happen in the next few hours. Uh, fly like the wind, Nigel cheered from the shadows. Together, he and Liz raced to Lexington Green, while Revere and Dawes rode off toward Concord. As the friends reached the tall wooden belfry overlooking the small triangular common, they hurriedly made their way to the top to get a clear view of everything below. They could see militiamen gathering in greater numbers at Buckman's Tavern and lanterns crossing the green as people scurried about. Moonlight spilled into the wooden tower, casting a silvery sheen on the 400-pound bell hanging there. Want to help me sound the alarm? Came a voice in the shadows, causing Liz and Nigel to jump. They turned to see a young militiaman holding the rope and grinning. Gilliman said you'd be here soon. Liz exhaled in relief and walked over to put her claws into the rope. It would be an honor, mon ami. Brilliant, Nigel cheered, running over to jump onto the rope. Together, Clarie, Liz, and Nigel pulled the rope and the huge bell's clacker reverberated with a loud bong that drifted out over the surrounding countryside. The alarm! Dr. Samuel Prescott exclaimed from a house nearby. He was a young physician from Concord who had spent the evening in Lexington visiting his fiancée, Miss Mulliken. I must go help spread the word to Concord! He kissed the young lady, grabbed his hat, and headed out the door. Not only did the bell arouse Dr. Prescott and the people in Lexington, but the British patrol on the road as well. The mounted officers quickly turned and started heading back toward Lexington. It wouldn't be long before they ran right into the Patriots racing to Concord. Outskirts of Lexington, Massachusetts, April 19th, 1.30 a.m. Revere and Dawes steadily galloped along in unison when from behind they heard a third horse approaching. Overtaking the duo, Prescott came alongside them shouting, It's Samuel Prescott of Concord. He was known to them as a son of liberty. I heard the alarm. Revere and Dawes slowed their horses. The regulars are marching from Boston to capture the military stores in Concord. We're heading there now, Revere explained. I'll help spread the word. Prescott answered determinedly. Together, the trio picked up the brisk pace once again and galloped on. 
As they reached the Lexington-Lincoln line, about halfway to Concord, Dawes and Prescott stopped to alarm the house of a couple also courting late in the night. Nathaniel Baker was a Minuteman from Lincoln and immediately bid Miss Elizabeth Taylor farewell to ride off and warn his neighbors and the other Minutemen there. Revere, 100 yards ahead of them, saw the British patrol officers heading their way. It was the same group who had arrested the three scouts from Lexington earlier in the night. He cupped a hand around his mouth and shouted back to his friends, Dawes! Prescott! We've got company! Halt! shouted one of the British officers as Dawes and Prescott made their way to Revere. Dawes suddenly changed course and galloped off toward Lexington. Two of the patrolmen immediately gave chase. Thinking quickly, Dawes rode into the yard of a house and acted as if he was expected there. Hello, my boys, he shouted. I've got two of them. Immediately, the pursuing officers stopped and fled, fearing they had been led into an ambush. Dawes turned to ride on to Lexington, but his horse rose up, snorting violently, and bucked him off. He didn't notice that his watch fell out of his pocket as he hit the ground. His horse ran off into the night, and Dawes sat there for a moment with his arms resting on his knees, catching his breath. Meanwhile, as Prescott rode to Revere's assistance, the two patriots were overtaken by four patrolmen who rode up to them, pistols in hand. If you go an inch farther, you're a dead man, an officer threatened Revere. Revere and Prescott exchanged nervous glances as the patrol forced the two of them into a pasture with a barn. Prescott leaned over and hoarsely whispered, Put on! Immediately he took off to the left while Revere took off to the right. Before the British could stop Prescott, he jumped over a low wall, knowing it was there, and escaped. He looked behind him to make sure he wasn't being followed. Prescott dug his spurs into his horse, leaned over and urged, Get me to Concord. It's up to us now. Yeah! As Revere headed to some woods at the bottom of the pasture, six officers came out of the trees and overpowered him. They grabbed Gilliman by the reins and forced Revere to dismount. One of the officers put a pistol to the Patriot's head and hissed through gritted teeth, We're going to question you, rebel, and if you don't give us true answers, I'll blow your brains out. Gilliman snorted angrily, and Revere held up his hands as they pushed him along to the barn. What is your name? one of the officers asked. Revere, the Patriot answered. Paul Revere. Ah, so we have captured the infamous silversmith who dared to depict His Majesty's troops cutting down innocent citizens in the streets, Major Mitchell spat, recounting the etching of the Boston Massacre that Revere had printed. It was well-distributed propaganda to fire up Patriot citizens, but inaccurate in some of the details. Well, silversmith, we'll get the truth out of you tonight. A British sergeant took Gilliman away, and the horse neighed and jerked its head in defiance. Gilliman could hear Revere grunting from the rough treatment at the hands of the soldiers. An officer lit some lanterns, and they forced Revere to take a seat on top of a wooden barrel. Major Mitchell grabbed one of the lanterns and got right in Revere's face. The lantern light cast shadows over their perspiring faces. Now then, Revere, tell us exactly what you and your fellow riders are doing out tonight. Revere gingerly wiped his bloodied mouth and squinted angrily at the officer. Exactly? he asked with a sarcastic smile. Very well. I left Boston just before midnight. Two of your patrols tried to catch me, but their horses got stuck in a bog. 
Along with my friends, I've alerted citizens throughout the countryside that General Gage's men are marching to destroy the military stores at Concord. So by the time the regulars reach Concord, they will find nothing but armed militia ready to resist them. Everything will have been safely moved, and Gage's men will miss their target. The Major contorted his mouth and stood upright, handing the lantern to another soldier. Revere wore a defiant, smug expression. The Major tugged the bottom of his jacket to straighten it and gripped his leather gloves tightly to slap Revere across the face. Insolent rebel! We'll take you back to Boston under heavy guard, he sneered, pulling on his gloves. Then we'll see what General Gage might have to say about your midnight ride. Hey, Jenny, how are you? If I was any more blessed, Andrew, I'd be you. I'm so great. <laughs> I'm great so you. glad that you have joined the Story Jumpers for another exciting adventure Yay. in this epic tale you're weaving. Now, this time we got to learn about Paul Revere. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, I, I was just blown away just by the circumstances he faced and really what the outcomes could have been. Right. Like things could have gone tragically wrong so many times. Right. And God saw him through. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. So I want to dig in. I want to know more because you okay. are the source of knowledge that we've got oh. at our fingertips. So Yay. can you give us a just a brief background on where we're at at this point in in the whole story. Um, You know, I know that we've met Max and Liz before, Mm -hmm. but catch us up. Where are we now? We were the last time we chatted in the voice of the revolution in the key was we were setting up the American revolution. Right. And so, um, well, back before that, Max and Liz have been with us from Noah's Ark all the way, six biblical titles. And now we're coming up to the American revolution. So, for the Voice of the Revolution in the Key, we showed you the founding fathers coming up as kids up to the eve of war. So give me liberty or give me death was March 23rd, 1775. The Declaration, the Sword and the Spy, picks up three weeks later with the first shots at Lexington and Concord. And so, mm-hmm. you know, Patrick Henry was, a, you know, a prophet to say, hey, war is coming. Get mm-hmm. ready. And then, boom, there it is. So. This book is going to take us from the outset of the war, the the beginning of it, all the way through the Declaration of Independence. And so the Epic Order of the Seven Animal Team, they all have their stations and their humans that they're assigned to for this one. And it is a rip-roaring ride through America's birth pains of American Revolution. Yeah, it was an amazing time in history. And Paul Revere. Now, Who was Paul Revere? Because we just get a bit of an intro to this young man, but I happen to know he was, you know, crucial in American history, but fill us in a little bit more. Why is he, why is he so important? Paul Revere was quite a character. You know, he was a silversmith by trade. Okay. Mm -hmm. But he was uh, actually a part of the Sons of Liberty too. And Paul Revere, great horseman, great horse rider, right? So he was a courier for Mm. a lot of things and taking messages back and forth. But one of the most famous things 
that Paul Revere did that put him on the map was after the Boston massacre. And I say mm-hmm. that, you know, with, with quotes, because it was his spin on it, Paul Revere's spin in doing an etching of painting the scene of, you know, the British firing on the, the helpless Patriots and all of that. Right. And this image that he created and had printed and distributed everywhere, which gave the impression of, you know, how bad the British were. Well, that was Paul Revere that did that. You know, mm. he did the plate of it. And I, I covered all of that in, in the last book. But he was always with the, the leaders of the Sons of Liberty, John Hancock, Samuel Adams, you know, Dr. Joseph Warren, all those boys up in Boston. Paul Revere was with them and hanging out. And he was kind of like their... Um, their messenger guy, mm-hmm. you know, and he actually took the Suffolk resolves from Dr. Joseph Warren to, to the Continental Congress. And so if you needed a message sent somewhere, Revere was your guy. How about that? Um, and so he was real active before his famous midnight ride, which most people know him, you know, for, and we can yeah. dig into that story. Um, however you want to go um, in the details of it. But yeah, even researching it, I learned a thing or two. And, and the main thing, and I love to ask kids this, he didn't say the British are coming. Right. You know why he didn't say the British are coming? I can't imagine. I was waiting for that and I didn't hear it. Because everybody was British, Andrew. At the time, if he'd said the British are coming, everybody would have been coming. Right. <laughs> More than likely, what he said was the regulars are out. Yeah. And the regulars meaning the regular British army because, and that shows you the power of a poem mm. to influence history. Okay. You know, the midnight ride of Paul Revere, listen, my dears, and you will hear the midnight ride of Paul Revere. That's where the British are coming comes from that's that where line. it was born that line how about that, that line? line was born yeah and so and and you know i didn't know that until i started no. digging into it and they were <laughs> like but but isn't that something to see the power of the written word yeah. to make you think that was history you know he must have been very trustworthy if all, and to even think that all of these men who did so much to shape and found the declaration of independence and and to found our nation and, and lead it in its first you know initial years they trusted him with their messages yes they did you know he must have been some trustworthy character he was and you know he was bold he was brave he was you know what you need what you need i got it i got Mm -hmm. it and so you know and dr joseph warren so he was the head of the spy ring of the Mm -hmm. sons of liberty there in boston and again, he's another unsung hero that I don't know how much you know about Dr. Joseph Warren, but he is the one that sent Revere out. And then what a lot of people don't know, Revere wasn't the only one he sent out. You know, William Dawes, he sent him out. You know, he sent Revere by water. He mm-hmm. sent, you know, Dawes by land. Yep. Neither of them made it to Concord. That was the first time I had ever heard of Dawes, mm-hmm. you know? Right. It was Prescott that made it. William Prescott. You know, and so um, it's it's amazing how we get big. But, hey, Paul Revere got the big press with the the poem. Right. (laughs) The Midnight Ride of Paul Revere. Yeah. Yeah. He was captured by the British and never made it. Which is interesting to me that, you know, and and of course, we we do what we can to learn history, make it palatable, like make it something that's interesting and catchy so that it at least sticks. And we learn the important keys that we need to move forward. 
But here was something that struck me about listening to just this clip of your story. It feels so very real and alive. Mm. And, you know, you must have done a lot of research just to make these characters seem so alive. Mm. What, What is your research process like? Well, I have a personal library of 300 books on the American Revolution. And I know your readers, your listeners can't see it, but you can see my bookshelf behind me as you're doing this. Um, And I do extensive research. I got to know. I've got to read and exhaust everything I can possibly know. And then I go on site. I went to Lexington. I went to Concord. I went to Paul Revere's house in Boston. You know, I mean, if, if I'm going to write this story, I got to know it so well, especially a story that's so well known. Yes. But then it's always so amazing where I uncover stuff and I'm like, well, wait a minute. I never heard that before. Um, but but this is how I write and how, of course, I bring in, you know, the animals. I love to find those moments in the history where we either don't know how or why something happened. Mm-hmm. And that's where I interject the characters, as you saw. One of the unknowns from this this chapter was we don't know who rang the bell on Lexington Green. Right. Mm-hmm. OK, perfect for, you know, getting my you know characters in there to be the ones to ring the bell. You know, um, and that's yeah. how, you know, you make it really fun. Like because, you know, what what kid wants to pick up a 650 page book? <laughs> Adult book on the American Revolution, mm, probably zero, but you put talking animals that are yeah. going to be right there on the scenes and you're going to get the same information and in all those adult boring books. Yes. And and be educated, but be entertained and be in the thick of it with Paul Revere. Yeah, it's a good mix. Yeah. So and, and this was something that I found really neat. And I listen, if any of these potatoes are still out there. <laughs> I want to find a few of them. Hiding money in potatoes? Are you isn't, kidding? Isn't that something? Yeah. That's wild. So I, I, I did. I find that really funny and odd. Yeah. Why would the colonists have hidden money and other valuables? Why were they hiding them? Well, anytime there's a time of war and you have an invasion, you're going to be plundered, right? Mm. And they didn't know what the British regulars were going to do. The, the Redcoats, they, they didn't. They didn't know. And so and they couldn't they needed to be ready to flee at a moment's notice. Right. And they can't carry everything with them. Mm-hmm. So they were going to leave some stuff that they only knew about, you know, where to find it. And and, and I actually read that in my research there that Hancock and, and the whole family, they were stuffing it in barrels of potatoes and, and all of that, you know, and their keepsakes, because a, a lot of people fled throughout the American Revolution and some of them never returned Hmm. to their home, especially loyalists that fled. um, And they ended up going to England. They left behind tons of stuff in Boston and and so forth. So, you know, in a, in a moment of panic, think about if, if an army were marching to your house today, Hmm. what would you want to hide, preserve? Because you know, they're going to come after you know, they may or may not, but the colonists, yeah, they just yeah. didn't know. Um, Did you find any other interesting ways that they were hiding things? What were some oh, of one of the coolest things. Now, the next chapter, and you're going to have to listen to it. Once they get to Concord, right? Okay, so the, so the main, the reason Paul Revere's writing, right, is that um, 
Governor Gage, the military governor, said, go find this powder. And he had spies out in the countryside trying to find where the, the patriots, the rebels, mm-hmm. had hidden all this powder and guns, mm-hmm. right? Well, it was uh, Concord and Worcester, all right? So Concord, mm-hmm. and Concord was closer to get to. So he that's why he sent these forces, go steal the powder, because they had gotten a royal edict from England, go take the, the powder. We got to mm-hmm. disarm these rebels, right? Well, guess what the Patriots did in Concord? They buried muskets and, and guns like rows of corn in the soil. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So they, they hid it, you know, like they were out there farming. So, I wow. mean, it was brilliant. And, you know, <laughs> so, yeah, they, they hid musket balls and powder and guns and whatever they, whatever they could um, yeah. because – the British were coming to steal and any musket balls they found, they were actually instructed Gage's orders to just toss the musket balls, not in a, in a lump, but toss them in the water, toss them along the road, you know? Um, so just they to had destroy to destroy it. So the, the colonists, the, the rebels could not use those ammunitions just to destroy them, get them out of there. Right. Yeah, get it out of their hands. And, you know, in in today's age, you know, we can run to Walmart or a gun store or whatever and get whatever we need. Well, they couldn't, you know, so whatever they had in their their possession, they had to preserve it. They had to hang on to it. Yeah, very interesting. Very cool. So where can story jumpers discover more about this unique and important time in, in world and American history? Where would you recommend a good research jumping off point? Well, aside from my books, um, you know, which, which I do want to make make note of in the back of all of my books, I have one of the most important things. It's a word from the author. Mm-hmm. And this is where I say this was real. This was fiction. This we're not too sure about. So this is what I ran with, because mm-hmm. I never want to perpetuate the British are coming. Right. I never want to perpetuate a misconception of, of something, you know, so I want to be very clear on what's real, what, what's fiction. And in the backs of my books, you see my full bibliography, mm. all the sources that I use, the books that I've read, the websites I visit, the places I go. And I put resources, revolutionary resources in the backs of my books. Mm. Go check out these places. Go visit this museum online. Go go in person, you know, if you Great. can. Great. Of course, the, the best way to research, go see where history happened. Yeah. Pack up the car, go. And if you can't physically get there, yeah. every museum on the planet has a website now. Go. Yes. And yeah. you can do virtual tours, you know, but go, but go to your library and, and go to these places where history happened, especially America's founding history, because it makes such a difference when you go and see where it happened. Yeah. You know, um, I can't you can't replace that. Um, One of the things I was disappointed with COVID, this book came out actually Patriot Day 2020. I was going to launch it at Lexington and Concord. I was set up to speak. Uh, I was going to be there that night for the reenactment of Paul Revere's ride. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I had booked a place to stay so I could stay up all night and just go there and get two hours of sleep and come yeah. out. Cause I was not going to miss the arena. They do it every year. Patriots day up there in Boston. Cool. By the same clock that I went through and wow. you can watch the whole thing. So wow. go watch 
yeah, go see it. Very neat. That does sound like a lot of fun. What a fun yeah. trip. So when I you mentioned your website a couple of times, mm-hmm. and I was crawling all over it. There's lots of good information, of course, lots of good details about each of the books in the series. Mm-hmm. And I know that you've got some fans of the Epic Order of the Seven. You've got some really loyal fans. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, they, they can find a lot more resources on your website mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for exploring this, this book series mm-hmm. and diving deeper into the adventures of Max and Liz. Right. What are some of the ways there that you think people will find the most interesting? The, the, some of the okay. newest tools that you've got. The newer tools? Okay, in. yeah, sure. So the website is epicorderoftheseven.com or .net. It takes you to the same same place. Um, and you'll see the tabs up top. There's a tabs for books, okay? And so you'll see all the books listed in order. But if you click on a specific book, each book has its own page. Yeah. And that's where I have behind-the-scenes pictures and my illustrator and I, Rob Moffat, working on a cover or my research, you know, going somewhere. And you'll see pictures of me at Lexington or or, or wherever. Um, so there's some fun stuff behind the scenes for each book page. Uh, but a couple of other things to point out that I'd love for uh, your listeners to know about is our, our podcast. I mean, mm-hmm. your podcast rocks is awesome <laughs> if they want another podcast. Yeah. So the Epic Order of the Seven podcast, we launched it just two years ago. Uh, we, we have 25,000 downloads so far. So Incredible. we're thrilled with that. Um, and uh, Denny Brownlee, who is the voice of my books, he has... Uh, put three books on, on audio so far. We started with the art, the read and the fire cloud. Um, and he said, you know what, what if we did a podcast where we played a chapter of that mm-hmm. similar to what you're doing, but we have it hosted by Max and Liz. Oh, cool. And then you come on. So Max and Liz, you'll get to hear them every week hosting this podcast. And they, it's a screen with Denny that can never remember his name. It's Monsieur Announcer Lad. And, you know, and then um, and then I come on for Jenny's Corner and I give a little behind the scenes or answer some fan mail or I'll, I'll say, well, how I wrote that scene. So season one is the Art Three and the Fire Club. Season two, which we're in the middle of right now, is the voice of the revolution in the key. And Nigel P. Monaco, my British mouse, has joined that podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. um there's a ton of those. You can hear it anywhere you hear podcasts, but but you'll see the page for that. Um, the audiobooks, of course. Um, and then there's even an Epicorn 7 game that I one of my readers. I want to play but, it. Yes. And it's a trivia game. And it's it's amazing. And so that's there. Uh, we did a Heroes of History VBS. Yes. Yep. I know a lot of churches would love to get their hands on that material. Oh, yes. It is fantastic. It's cool. wonderful. And we had some some initial animation. You know, we've been working for years that, for these books to be turned into uh, 3D animated feature films. And we've come close several times. It's expensive. It's a $25 million production budget. So if you'd like to take up a love offering for your listeners, yeah. you know, I'll, <laughs> just send it to me, right? Um, but no, I mean, whenever God's ready to roll, money is just such a non-issue with him. That's but um, anyway, our, our team, I'm excited. We've got some movement happening right now that hopefully next time I come on, I can share some exciting things that we're heading towards production. So we're getting very close. Um, and that's that's exciting. And that would be you know, great. 
we're going to be do, doing the art, but I'd love to do a mini series on the revolution, kind of like Liberty Kids, but for t- this generation, right, right. Yeah. you know. That'd be so, a lot. Um, that sounds yeah. cool. Sounds very cool. Now, the the book that we just heard a clip from, Declaration, mm-hmm. the Sword, and the Spy, mm-hmm. is book eight. Eight. Book yes. eight. Yes. You've been busy writing. Yeah. I Yeah. <laughs> and the first one came out in uh, 2008. So, yeah, eight novels, and I stink at math. How many years is that? Um, a few. But, yeah, a few. Um, and, you know, I used to be a lot faster, Andrew, with sure. with the book. I used to be able to crank out one a year. The further I got along in time, especially come up to the American Revolution, yeah. they're taking me about two years in between. The research yeah. is so intense. I'm sure. And you want to be um, accurate, you know. So. Yeah. And, you know, it just it just takes a lot longer. Plus, I'm doing marketing events and I, yeah. I can't. All, I used to just go hide in my cave all winter and write and slam <laughs> it out and not talk to anybody. And mm. Then I like had to have a life, had to come out of the cave and and do some things. But I am closing in on the finish line for book nine awesome, right now, awesome. which is the Marquis, the Escape, and the Fox. Ah. So the Declaration ends with the Declaration of Independence, and this kind of picks up with that. Um, and essentially, the Battle of New York, and the the British have come. They ain't yeah, just yeah. they're not just coming; they're here. Okay, the British are here. Um, and those famous scenes that you also know, you know, Washington retreating across yes. the, De- the Delaware, the Delaware right the crossing the Delaware, the Battle of Trenton, uh, Princeton. Um, but then the Marquis de Lafayette and one of the big story arcs and plot lines that I'm doing with this whole revolution series is showing how France enabled us to win our independence. And a lot of people do yeah. not know we would not have been independent without France. That's right. And so the Marquis de Lafayette is my little star character for this book that I'm writing and his escape out of France. Oh, wow. It's an exciting <laughs> ride. So this next book is all war. It's all action. Great. And truly a miracle how Washington's ragtag continental army pulled this thing off for independence. It's amazing. Well, and Max and Liz are right there yep. in the center of it all. Mm-hmm. They're helping mm-hmm. out their human companions Right. And they are they're really, you know, it's interesting because they help to be like instruments of God. They're there to make a nudge or they're there to to make something happen. Like you said before, something that maybe we didn't know the exact historical, you know, uh, basis for, you know, no one was there to capture it. Right. And so these folks, these little animal friends, they help us through that moment. Right. Or to write a letter. Liz, the French cat, she's really good with a quill. So I'll have her write anonymous letters or newspaper advertisements or posts or things like that. I love, Andrew, finding one in my research. We're not sure who wrote this or who did this. And I'm like, I do. (laughs) I do. And and that's how I do it. I don't alter the history. I just make the animals the ones, the agents who made that happen. So it makes it great fun. I wonder if Benjamin Franklin ever knew that a cat invited him to France. You know, (laughs) he probably does now. (laughs) Well, Jenny, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Story Jumpers. Thanks for sharing another chapter from one of your wonderful books. I, you know, I think that this entire series is great. And if we can have you back on soon, you know, to talk about the next book or to fill us in on the animated series, please let us know. Door is always open to you. 
I would love that. I would love that. And I can't wait to return. And I just hope all you listeners out there will just have a blast. Fall in love with America. Fall in love with our history. There's so much fun stuff that happened. And depending on who's listening, uh, check out my Epic Patriot Camp, which is a summer writing camp I'm doing this summer. It's a virtual online writing camp. And you can find that on my website if you think you might want to be the next generation to pick up your quill and write a story. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jenny. Thanks, Andrew. Parents, the Declaration, the Sword and the Spy is book eight of the Epic Order of the Seven series. Jenny Cody's award-winning book, The Voice, The Revolution and the Key is now available as an audiobook on Audible. The 25-hour masterpiece of revolutionary adventure features the epic voice talent of Denny Bronley, who performed 150 voices to bring the book to life. Jenny Cody is author of the five-book epic revolutionary saga and the Epic Order of the Seven series. She has been researching Patrick Henry and the Revolutionary War since 2007. She is passionate about this crucial period of history and about her favorite founding father, Patrick Henry. Her heart's desire is for children to know the real history of America, including God's hand of favor every step of the way. She is a Virginia native who now lives with her family in Roswell, Georgia. Learn more about the entire series at epicorderofthe7.net.